You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Does the name Westboro Baptist Church ring any bells with you guys? Yeah, hopefully in a, unfortunately in a, in a very bad way, in many respects. They're the ones that are world famous now for being a church, if you could even call it that, that, that is reflected in their placards and their banners that they go around saying, God hates you, America is doomed, thank God for the dead soldiers, destruction is imminent. And sometimes when I see people like that that use the brand Christian, I wonder how the heck did they get to that point? And primarily it's because what I see shapes who we'll be. And on one hand, if you see the city as evil and debauched and unsavable, then up come the placards, don't they? Either physically or if not physically, invisibly in your own head. This city can go to hell. But on the other hand, if you see the city the way that Jeremiah does, the way that God does in this passage that we read from the Old Testament, if you see it that God has placed you as an exile into the city so it might prosper, then we've got a totally different looking church. What I see shapes who will be. And that's where the series has been over the past couple of weeks that we've saying that The way in which we view the gospel is the way in which healthy and dynamic and good and not non-placard based ministry will overflow. That there are a range of ministry fronts that explode from the gospel. That the gospel connects you to God. That the gospel connects you to others in tight-knit, beautiful, wonderful community that is to show the world how it's meant to be lived. That this morning we'll look at that if you get the gospel clearly, the inside-outside nature of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died for the world's sins thousands of years ago, past, present, future, then you don't need to send placards up telling them what they're doing wrong. (laughs) That the gospel connects you to people who are radically different from you and that the gospel connects you to the city around you. And then we'll see next week that the gospel also connects you to the culture around you, that you see the world in which you live now, not just as a place to be in exile, but your mission field. What I see shapes who we'll be. And that's hopefully been your little phrase that you've been saying in the cars as you drive around this week. And so the question is this morning, how do you minister in a city where you feel like you're the minority and the city is hostile to you? Anyone ever felt a little bit that way? I thought, what a wonderful case study of a story of here's God sends all of his people into the city and they're the minority and here's a non-believing, uh, un- ungodly city that they're living in, this debaucherous, evil city, and God sends them into that. And I thought, there's no better case study. There's no better application of where we sit today than the book of Jeremiah. What a wonderful case study. And so what we see this morning is we'll see the significance of the city. We'll see how to engage the city, and then we're going to see where you'll get the power to engage that city. You see here, firstly, we're going to see the significance of the, of the city. And the significance of the city comes from agglomeration. Agglomeration, it's, a, it's an economic term and basically what it means is that the city is the hub of creative innovation, relationship and energy. That cities are these dynamic, incredible hubs where people gather together and energy ensues. A report 
by the Productivity Commission on Sydney said this, that essentially cities bring together the most productive enterprises and talent which then reinforce themselves and then add greatly to their value through the, the clustering and proximity of people to one another. And so what it's saying is that cities are so important uh, to our nation's growth, its economic growth, its social growth, its cultural growth. Why? Well, biblically, our lens says, because that's God's design. That the city is just an overflow of how God intended humanity to be. And that is that the city is just the bigger picture, the macrocosm of how God intended human relationship. It's the macrocosm of the backyard barbecue, right? Ever been to a backyard barbecue? Do people just disperse themselves evenly in a grid around the backyard? No. They get together, they huddle. The blokes get around the barbecue. Ladies get around the table, but they huddle, we, we get together, there's energy, there's creativity, there's dynamism, there's discussion. And so the city nationally is just a representation of that. So first of all, the city is important because it's the hub of creative design and it's God's design. When the Israelites go into the promised land, God actually commands them to begin to go and create cities. This urbanization, he says, this is my plan. And what it shows us is the Bible actually has a far more positive view of the city than we might actually have in the depths of our hearts. The God loves cities. He designs cities. But the second thing the city does, and it's, this is an interesting one, the city provides the context where the gospel of Jesus Christ can be proved. And here's what I mean by that. Have you ever, have you ever caught yourself saying in your head, oh my goodness, Sydney is not what it used to be? Anyone here ever used to leave the money out for the milkman on the back step? Anyone here ever used to just leave the door unlocked because that's what you could do? Yeah. And then anyone ever found themselves saying, Sydney's not like that anymore, it's changed forever. And then we look at some of the violence and the strife that's going down. We're looking at the incredible ethnic diversity that's beginning to emerge in our city. And we go, Sydney's not like it used to be anymore. And then out of that, suddenly, do you find yourself feeling a little bit more like a minority in this hostile city? <laughs> Are we even a Christian city anymore? Do people even believe anymore? What's going to happen to the church? Do you ever feel that Sydney's getting too big? It's getting too unchristian. It's getting too diverse. It's getting too hard for us to make an impact. Now, would it be any encouragement to you that when you go back and you look at the dynamic of cities in the New Testament, you'll see that the bigger the city is and the more ungodly the city is and the more evil and the more debauched that the city is, the more the gospel flourished. Why is that? It's because, imagine taking the gospel to middle America in the middle of Ohio where 95% of the people carry a Bible around as they eat breakfast. You see, cities like that where it's all Christianized don't give you the opportunity to prove that the gospel transcends cultural and ethnic and socioeconomic boundaries. You know, have you ever thought that you know, people sometimes argue, oh, you guys are Christians because you were just brought up that way. Anyone ever heard that? And yet, when you have this incredibly different mix of expats coming into the city and different cultures and different religions and everyone starting to mingle into one, there and only there will you begin to find the context that as the gospel goes down into the city and as people from totally different backgrounds start coming together, finally, people can prove that the gospel is a force not to be reckoned with. 
So cities actually provide the context with where, where we can demonstrate that the gospel is true and it's good news not just for our culture but for every culture. And so look at Sydney today. No, you can't leave the money out the door for the milkman. You've got to buy two for five bucks at 7-Eleven and that's as good as it gets. <laughs> and the question is, the reality is for us as a church, and look at us, look at where we are, Northside. We're not out in Bathurst. We are not out right down, out in the leafy outskirts of the countryside. We are three minutes from the Harbour Bridge by car. We are absolutely smack bang in the middle of one of the greatest and one of the most dynamic cities in the world. Has it ever occurred to you to ask the question, Lord, what are you doing with us in that? Is it just me or does every other survey that comes out year after year put Sydney in the top five cities in the world to live? Is it just me or are there expats from around the world? In fact, is half the world's population, does it seem, want to live in Sydney? People want to come here. People want to be here for work and to live. And, and God somehow has put this little church, Northside Community Church, right smack bang in the middle of that. And what it means for you and I this morning is we have to understand, church, as we move forward into our new season, that we are a city-based church. We're not, a, we're not a countryside church. And what that's going to mean is it's going to bring all sorts of different and diverse people in contact with us. And so the question now, and that is, how do you engage that city? What do we do with that? And this question popped up for me uh, just last week. An ex-Northsider in this classic pattern that we have of young adults coming through and then moving away. Coming, he, he'd moved up to Sydney from Melbourne and now he's moved over and he's living in Hong Kong. And I was wondering how he's doing. And we had coffee. And I asked him how work was going and he said it was really good. He said, I get into the boardroom and I shout and I swear at my boss all week and we go at each other head, hammer and tongs and we go head to head. But it's fantastic because we catch up for a coffee before church. <laughs> it's like, Sam, this guy's a Christian. It's awesome. <laughs> and actually I've gotten him and we're now on the connection group selection committee of our church in Hong Kong, which is now two and a half thousand. And it's been amazing because I'm telling him about all the things that we do here at Northside. Notice how he still says we do at Northside. And, and so he's taken that over into Hong Kong. He's gotten himself on the board of the, uh, as one of the members of the Macquarie Foundation, not on the board, but as a member. And he's convinced some of his workmates to go and raise $32,000. And he'd just gone and spent a week over in Cambodia on a mission trip. <laughs> now, how do we reconcile that? Because he said to me, Sam, is that okay? <laughs> I'm wondering, church, is, is that okay? He's, he's swearing his head off, he's angry, he's, he's, he's engaged in this corporate culture that I don't want to make a comment on Macquarie. We can ask Craig Beattie about it a little bit later. But, but some of you might resonate with this. Do you have his tension that says, how do I be a Christian in this culture? And that is why Jeremiah is such a wonderful case study for us as a church. Because the great tension that we all have in this city is this, do I assimilate, do I become like the culture, or do I separate? Do I run from the culture? Do I succumb to the culture around me, or do I separate it from it? And Jeremiah gives us an amazing case study. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he's defeated Judah, which was a section of Israel when it was split in its day. And instead of just raising Jerusalem to the ground and smashing all of its walls and, and just getting rid of the city, annihilating it, which he could have done, and he later did do. Here in this case, he's taken 10,000 of the cultural elite out of the city as slaves and takes them down into 
Babylon. And the question is, who were the 10,000? And when you read through and you read the commentaries, they were the professionals. They were those in the media, in the arts, the military, those in finance. And here's the, here's the question. Why would he just be taking the professionals down in there? Why would he take the cultural elite? Well, he's pretty cagey and he was very clever, Nebuchadnezzar, because he was thinking, how do you make a foreign country submit to yours? You can either overpower it or you can assimilate it. And so he comes in, he says, come in, get our good jobs, um, do, be part of our culture, learn sorcery. That was Daniel's dynamic, right? In, in, in Jeremiah, you, it's all Daniel's era. Daniel becomes a sorcerer in, in Babylon. And so Nebuchadnezzar is t- trying to indoctrinize them, to Babylonize them, to assimilate them, to stop them to think about their monotheistic God of all the universe, but their polytheistic many God religions that they had there. And so here's the tension. When the Jewish professional class got in there and he let them go do their things and have the jobs, they said, we can't do this. And so they went and camped on the other side of the river, on the other side of the city. They separated from that. And that's where the false prophets began to rise up. And if you want to know what they said, go back and read Jeremiah 28 for a little bit of homework. But I'll give you the summary. Here's the summary of what they said. They said, don't get in there. Stay away from the city. We're believers, and this is this wicked city on the other side of the river. Have nothing to do with it and stay out. We prophesy that God is going to come back and he's going to break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to, he's going to judge the city. He's going to rain fire down on the city. Up go the placards. And what's incredible is that they were the false prophets. They're saying, stay out, don't engage. And here's what would have blown the minds of those who were hearing from Jeremiah, the true prophet. Whilst all the other prophets are saying, get out, Jeremiah is saying, God says, get in. Get into the city. Be a part of the city. Let's look at it again. Verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty God of Israel, this is Jeremiah the prophet, talking on God's behalf, says to all those that I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, marry, increase in number there, do not decrease. See that? God's saying get in. Don't run from the city, get in. God, and not only that though, God was nuanced. He's not saying assimilate and he's not saying separate. He's talking about a third way. He's, he's, not saying, he's not saying assimilate. He doesn't say that. He says, don't assimilate. Don't get their identity. Don't lose your identity as an Israelite and as my people. But on the other hand, he says, assimilate. Get in there. Settle down. Marry. Have kids. So the question is, which, which one is it? Which is it? Do I assimilate? Do I separate? Which one is it? Here's the point. God is not so much concerned with what you do as he is with what you worship. And so see how that might now apply to our friend that's hanging out there in Hong Kong. How can our friend live out the balance of this shouting match at work? How can our friend deal with the fact that this culture is pressing in on him? You see, sin is not just good deeds or bad deeds. Sin is worshipping something other than God. And so God's not so much concerned with what you do, but what you worship. And so here's how the principle works. When, they go, when we go into the city, does it mean that Christians shouldn't have careers in the city? Because, you know, careers are worldly things. No, but if, if you turn your career into your ultimate thing that you worship, now you have a problem. Does it mean that 
Christians shouldn't be financially prosperous in the city because money is an evil and a wicked thing. No. Money can be a good and a wonderful thing when it's used for the purposes of God. And yet if money becomes the one thing that you worship, then okay, that's a bad thing. Does it mean that Christians shouldn't party in the city because having fun is evil, as some people think? No, and we do live in a very fun culture, don't we? But the point is, if fun is your only source of happiness, then you've got a problem. See the principle? In other words, God is saying, don't forget you are exiles in this earthly city. You have a, a place that is your permanent home. So don't get, don't get so involved that you forget that home. But at the same time, don't separate that. Don't, se- don't move out from that. Don't create your subcultures from that. And so I guess my question for you this morning is, where does, where does your bias sit this morning? <laughs> are, you, are you too assimilated into the city? Or you're too separated from the city. God says you need to be both. Well, how, how do we be both? God says you're not to assimilate totally, but we're not to separate. How do you find the balance? Verse 7, verse seven has the key in here. Look at this. It says, Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord because if the city prospers, you too will also prosper. You see, the way that they found the right balance between assimilation and separation is they were to seek the peace of the city. Now, the the peace of the city, the English word's a bit clunky. We think peace is like the end of conflict, right? But what it meant was the Hebrew word was seek the shalom of the city. Seek that shalom was so much more than an end to a conflict. Shalom was God's ideal. It's how things were in the garden. Total, wonderful, uh, interwoven, interdependent relationship with humanity and with God and beauty and wonder and wholeness and restoration. So can you see what God is saying here? He's saying, by me sending you in as exiles, the Jews were to put their lives on the line for the sake of the gospel, uh, for the sake of the, the city. That shalom meant the complete spiritual and economic and social restoration of that city. Shalom meant you were to go in there and you're going to stop everything that makes it degrade. And then this Jewish guy a little bit later on in the Bible, doesn't he say, you're the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth. You are a city on a hill, you're an alternate city within a city, right? God's people to go in and to begin so changing the city around them that they restore it. And so they were to put their lives on the line for the city. That's why it says in verse 10 here, it says, This is what the Lord says, When the 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll come to you and I'll fulfill my gracious promise. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now, plans... I have plans for you, declares the Lord. Anyone ever used that verse before? That's the sort of verse, you know, my grandma would have had cross-stitched on the back of the toilet door. <laughs> now, the th- funny thing in the context of all we're talking about this morning is this. Is it just me or have I been reading that verse way too individualistically? Did you hear the context of all of this? God says, when the 70 years are completed for Babylon, when the city prospers, then you will prosper. (laughs) 
And so often I have read that verse as meaning that in all the junk and the craziness and the minority that I am in the city, then at least God's kind of come back and at least he's got a plan for me. But for everyone else, well, good luck. (laughs) No, God says when you go in and the city prospers, then you'll prosper. And so here's the wonderful connection and that is that God's purposes were to bless not just his own people, but to bless the unbelievers by the presence of of his own people to bless the city and when I when I read this again my heart sank because I thought the God of the Bible is not about shoving placards in people's faces the God of the Bible is saying to you this morning (laughs) you are there you are there in the city for the workmate who jeers at you because tomorrow when you're going to work you decide that you won't cover up the fact that you went to church this weekend God has placed you in the city for them That for the family member who's still struggling to come to grips with your faith, now becoming almost agnostic, God has placed you in that conversation there for them. For the friend who after years of knowing that you're a Christian still does not have the slightest bit of interest in your faith, God has placed you there for them as an exile. And what that means is that we as a church have much to offer this unbelieving city around us for its blessing. And that means that God's plan for our church is not that we fight the city or that we judge the city or that we rebuke the city. God's plan for our church is that we prosper the city around us. And that is that a gospel-centered church will engage the city around itself for the city's sake and not their sake. It'll be characterized, and man, could I do a whole new sermon on this. It'll be characterized in the first instant by ministries of relief. How do we just physically meet the needs of the city around us? And then at a deeper level, it'll be characterized by ministries of development. How do we actually, as a church, have ministries that bring people and even whole communities, if we dare say it, to a position of self-sufficiency in God? And at an even deeper level than that, that we would be a church somehow linked to social reform, that laws would be changed, that business ethics would be changed because of our presence in the city. That's the vision that God has for our church. That's the vision that he had for his people in Babylon. And so the question I'm just simply asking you this morning is, guys, are we seeing the city clearly Are you seeing the city clearly in God's plan for the city? Is there a reason for you to get in like Jeremiah called for on God's behalf? It's our plan that we are a minority in this different and ethnically diverse city at the moment. It's God's plan that you and I feel like we're exiles in this city at the moment. That's what God planned for us. And some of us are thinking, what is God on? Is he serious? Does he know what it's like out there? Does he understand what my friends and my workplace is like? How can God possibly expect us to go and love a world that's not only indifferent to him, but even hostile to him and to us? Is he serious? Yes. How do we go into a city like that? Here's the power. It's because he already did. Matthew chapter 27, those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. And in the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. And here's where you get the power to serve the city around you. 
Only in Jesus Christ do Christians have someone who stared a hostile and unbelieving city in the face and loved the city for the sake of the city. Remember, Luke's gospel, he goes in and Jesus wept for the city. And until we look at the gospel and see a man dying for a culture that was so hostile that it killed him, then maybe we can just go a little bit further into the culture that we feel wants to kill us. And until we look at the gospel, we are either going to try and assimilate in order to avoid the hostility towards us. We'll become like the culture so people don't pick on us. Or, uh, but and only until we, unless we see the gospel, we'll separate and we'll become hostile and the placards will go up. Only until we see the gospel that even for Jesus, the tension for him was, do I assimilate or do I separate? If Jesus had have assimilated into the culture, the gospels would have been about him sipping tea with the Pharisees. And at the same time, if the Gospels were about Jesus separating, then he never would have left the throne room of heaven himself in order to go into this city that is the world around us. But Jesus lived out the third way. He lived the promise in Jeremiah that his contemporaries yearned for that said, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me with all of your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. See, the reality is at one point, we're we're all exiles. That's a real problem, but not just in this city. Before we meet God, we're exiles in the ultimate city. Revelation talks, talks about cities. That the end of the world, the way God designs it to be, it will be a heavenly city. And we'll get to live in the downtown. We'll get to live in the CBD of God's wonderful and beautiful city. But up until we meet Jesus Christ, we're exiles and foreigners, not just of this city, but in the one true city, our home with God. And through the exile of Jesus on the cross, he brings us home. That's where we find the power in all this. That's how the gospel allows you to go out and engage the city around you. It's all a bit theoretical. Let me finish with this. I was chatting to Dr. Andrew Ball. He... It sounds very formal. He's the head of Churches of Christ in New South Wales. And we were chatting down at Minister's Awakening uh, just the other week. And he was telling me the story about a church that he's connected with over there in England. And they're not much bigger than us. In fact, they're, they're our size. And they see themselves as a resourcing church. And he began to explain what that meant. And so he was saying that uh, during 2011, there were a whole bunch of riots in England. I don't know if anyone ever remembered the, Eng- the England riots in 2011. And there was so much happening down in the city of London that uh, all the police from the city of Maidstone in the UK, where this church is, all the police had gone out of London to help the riot squads down there. And then the chief uh, police officer or police commissioner of Maidstone in the UK uh, heard that there was a whole bunch of young thugs that were about to come in and start rioting in the city. And so what does he do? He doesn't pick up the phone to the riot squad. He picks up the phone to Michael Puffett, the senior pastor of Jubilee Church. He says, Michael, I know you're an amazing church amongst the city. Can you help us out? 
He says, We've, these, these thugs are going to come up and they're, they're looking to ransack the city. And so within about an hour and a half, the, all the SMS messages went out amongst the city. And within an hour and a half, about 60 of their men from the church all donned high-vis vests, you know, the big yellow ones. And they walked down and they progressively went to go and stand on every corner of their city. As the thugs came up into the main park and they congregated, the, the big guys of the church just stood there. They didn't attack them. They didn't, they didn't abuse them. The, the big guys just stood there and they just stood watching these young thugs with baseball bats and all the rest of it that were getting ready to riot. And they just started talking with them and talking and talking until about one o'clock in the morning. And it's at that point the leader of the, the main gang there said, oh, guys, whatever, this is boring. There's too many people around. <laughs> Jesus once said, you are the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. And I think in that story, it helped me realize that I just don't think he was speaking euphemistically. That his church was salt and light on that particular evening. And when Andrew asked Michael Puffett, the senior pastor, why the heck would you do that? This was his response. He said, Maidstone is God's city. And we have done too much work as a church going in to help restore and build and work that I'd be darned if we're going to let some young thugs and idiots come up and ransack the thing. They were a church who were there to prosper the city. Now, there are always people coming to Sydney to start a riot, not with clubs and not with bats. But with self-interest and greed and selfish ambition and one-sided relationship because they're coming here to work the city, not for the city's sake, but for their sake. They're coming into Sydney all the time to rip whatever they can out of Sydney and then go home. And so all I ask you this morning is how do you see our city? Is it a lost cause? Is it too much? Are we too exiled? Are we too much of a minority? Or do you see your workplace and do you see your family? And do you see your friendships? And do you think, that's my corner. <laughs> and you don your high-vis vest. <laughs> because you know that the God of this city has sent you in as an exile, as a minority amongst that. And he says to you, we're not winning yet, but it's only half time. <laughs> and if this city prospers, so too will we prosper. What I see shapes who we'll be. Let's pray.